Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And for the first time, we are coming to you live. Uh, I'll have Bob explain how we're doing that here in a little bit. But a quick rundown on today's show. We're going to have our spring training predictions. As you know, we love to make predictions on this show. And this is going to be the episode where we're going to predict some of the storylines that are going to be unfolding in camp, how the roster is going to shake out for opening day, and some of the key position battles. So I'll be on this episode of On the Verge, which, as you know, is brought to you by Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So as I mentioned, we are actually live streaming this show tonight, although it will be available as an episode on your normal podcast platforms after we're finished recording, so you'll be able to go back and listen to it uh, over the coming days. So Bob, uh, kind of give us a quick rundown on how we're doing this. Yeah, it's all thanks to Josh Roca, the mastermind behind Section 336 and Birdland Tonight. And he is letting us take over the Birdland Tonight live stream so that we can advertise Birdland tonight as well as our podcast. So thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you, Josh, for uh, setting us up with this. And um, a quick note, some of you may have noticed that last week's show um, had to be taken down after it was initially uh, published because of an issue with the audio file. Fortunately, it has been fixed and the show was back up as of last night. The file is good to go. So uh, when you finish this show, go back and listen to last week's show and get our preview of college baseball, as well as a little bit of spring training talk that uh, we had before tonight's show. Um, One of the things we wanted to talk about at the top of the show was that since we were last on the air, the 2021 minor league baseball schedules were announced. Um, If you've been following what's been going on in the minor leagues this offseason, it was really not a big surprise. Triple A will start in April, while low A, high A, and double A will begin in May. The plan right now is for Triple A to have 142 games, with the AA, high A, and low A leagues all having 120 games. With the minor league baseball reorganization and MLB's takeover that took place over the offseason, uh, Aberdeen is now the Orioles' high A affiliate. Otherwise, Norfolk remains at AAA, Bowie at AA, Delmarva at low A. Some of the things that are going on scheduled this year are a little bit different than what we've seen in the past because there's a more regional component to the travel, especially in Norfolk's cases. They're primarily going to play AAA teams based in the Southeast. And there will also be one day off a week. I believe there are no All-Star games this year. So certainly a different look and feel to what we're used to from minor league baseball. But I think you guys can agree that we're happy to have signs of a regular season coming. Yeah, this is awesome to finally have baseball in the air. Spent all weekend watching college baseball. If you follow us on Twitter, you would know that. <laughs> Lots of college baseball clips. Um, yeah, I think the schedule of format is actually pretty cool just as a whole with minor league baseball. You're doing six-game sets against teams. So if you're in Norfolk Tides, you're at home Tuesday through Sunday playing the same team, and then every Monday is going to be a travel day. I'm interested to see what the minor leaguers themselves think about this, uh, having four, maybe five off days every month instead of one, maybe two off days a month on top of the higher pay, <laughs> better you know, upgrades to these facilities. Uh, I think it's all going to be uh, another positive uh, step for minor league baseball. But yeah, the all-star games are kind of a bummer because that's an opportunity to see a bunch of you know top prospects on one field. But I think 
just for this year, at least getting the 120 to 140 games at each level uh, is going to be a plus and a positive. And it looks like as far as you know, state by state basis, uh, but at least here in Virginia, uh, we can have a thousand people at, at stand. So if you're close to Norfolk or want to go to Norfolk Tides game, at least for right now, you're going to have a thousand fans, hopefully more by the time they start in April, but it's right here on the horizon. This is awesome. feels good. And that's really your only option as far as minor league baseball and the Orioles system, uh, at least until May, once the lower leagues start kicking in. But yeah, the schedule looks different than normal, but it's baseball. And if anything, it's I think it's kind of neat, even if it's only a one-year thing. I think a lot of teams are going to have six-man rotations. So you're just going to basically see everyone's uh, starting pitcher one time through the rotation on a week. And it's kind of cool. It's a little imbalanced. I think, what, Norfolk is playing like Charlotte. 48 times or something, but it's baseball. And with the way the players move up and down, it's not going to be like it's going to get too stagnant, I wouldn't believe. So, hey, it's exciting. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, to see the full schedules, you can head to the team websites um, and then also check out at BSL on the Birds on Twitter because I know we tweeted the schedules out last week. Uh, we're going to move in now to our predictions. And as you know, if you're a listener of this show, we love to make predictions on this show. Uh, we've had shows on here before where we've made a dozen predictions that we've outlined at the beginning of the show and then added more on before it was over. So don't be surprised if some impromptu questions come up tonight. But one of our rituals is that we do like to go back and revisit our predictions to see what we got right and what we got wrong before we make more predictions. So I was reminded recently that we had made some predictions on a show right after the 2020 regular season ended about how the 2021 season would look from a rules perspective. So I'm going to run those down now. Um, so here's our predictions for 2021 MLB rules as made right after the 2020 season ended. Would there be a 162-game season? We all three said yes, and right now that is the plan. Will there be a universal DH? We all said yes, and there will not be a universal DH. So the pitchers will bat in the National League this year. Runner on second uh, in extra innings uh, as to start every inning, as was implemented last year. Would that be back in 2021, and would it be used in the playoffs? We all said yes to the first part, which was that it would be back in the regular season, and no, it would not be in the playoffs, which I believe is correct. Um, I did throw in a caveat that I wouldn't be shocked if MLB did something odd, like implemented early in the postseason were implemented after the 12th inning in postseason games. But that's probably not going to happen because there are no expanded playoffs this year. We're back to 10 teams as we were pre-2020. All three of us predicted back um, after the 2020 season ended that in 2021, expanded playoffs would stay and it would likely remain at the 16-team format for 2021 before maybe moving into another number in 2022. So overall, we both, all three of us went two for four, didn't get the universal DH correct, didn't get the expanded playoffs correct, but got the schedule and the runners uh, on second base at the beginning of extra innings part correct. I don't know about you guys, I don't want to speak for you, but I don't think what I anticipated was that the universal DH especially would become such a bargaining chip uh, in discussions between players and owners. And I think that's really the reason why we're not seeing it this year. First prediction of the day, we're going to have universal DH before opening day kicks off, and we're going to have expanded playoffs, I think 14 teams this time. I just feel like MLB is dragging their feet around. It just makes too much sense not to happen. I think they're going to try to use it as a bargaining chip, realize it can't really be used as a bargaining chip, and then they're going to do what works best for both parties in the end. Unfortunate for those free agents who uh, could have gotten a better contract if they had announced it sooner. But yeah, I mean the DH thing—I don't know. I mean we're all AL fans and grew up watching Orioles baseball, so it's it's natural to us. I get from the National League perspective, you know, it's 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 real baseball. There's all the strategy involved, which okay, like nobody wants to see the pitchers bat. I enjoyed Richard Blyer's Instagram yes. post. I saw it. Send help as he's practicing bunning. But <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, it's hurt a lot of guys in free agency. Like you said, Bob, uh, number of players still out there without a job and spring training is already underway. Games start in like three, four days. Uh, I mean, and it's going to be even last year after opening the first pitch of opening day, major league baseball is changing the rules. 
And I feel like it's going to be the same case this year. It's going to be whatever the league feels like uh, makes them a little bit more money without regard to fans or players at this point. And, you know, it's, it's fine. The runner on second rule, I will say, and I think I join a lot of people in saying that I was against it at first. I didn't like it when it was used in the minor leagues. Uh, But at this point, I, I don't really care at this. Keep it. Don't keep it. Doesn't bother me either way. The universal DH, I, Let's bring this full time. Let's stop watching pictures hit, obviously. And then, you know, um, yeah, we'll see what Major League Baseball does. I mean, no one's a fan of Major League Baseball. We're just glad to have baseball back. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see just because, as both of you said, MLB has kind of been going last second. And I understand part of it is the pandemic. They, you have to be prepared to adjust with everything. But some of these things feel like they're more about the relations between the players and the owners and less about the pandemic. Um, so I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if MLB does make some last minute changes or make some changes within, say, the window between now and the second week of the season that all of a sudden, um, you know, you do have expanded playoffs. Um, or you have something else thrown in that we're not anticipating right now. But, you know, at the very least, it looks like, you know, they're going to be able to pull off 162 games. Hopefully they can do it safely. Um, Everything else, though, we'll see how it happens. Um, I still expect, though, that even if it's not in baseball this year, the Universal DAs will take full effect in 2022, and there will be no going back after that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Apparently, I'm in the minority when it comes to the seven-inning doubleheader thing. I'm just going to put it that way. I, I love the seven-inning doubleheader day, but I understand that not a lot of other people do, and that's fine. That's just the <laughs> college, I guess that's just the college baseball fan of me. Yeah, I didn't hate it for last season and, and this season even, but going forward, I'd prefer not, but it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, we'll see. I do think there's a strong argument for bringing it back this year, and this is something we're going to talk about a lot in our predictions, but it's, you know, how are you going to use your pitchers? You know, how many pitchers are you going to have on your roster? How are you going to use them? Um, how many innings are these guys going to be able to throw? So it does feel like it's sort of a cautionary measure. Seven inning doubleheaders for this year are a good thing. Um, but we'll see if they stick around after this. So we'll move in now to our predictions. And basically what we're going to do is our spring training predictions. Some of these things will be prospect related. Um, the prospect that I know everybody wants us to talk about on every show, uh, Adley Rutzman, does factor into these predictions. But there's also some stuff about the Major League roster. And I'll get into the first one, which is how many pitchers will be in the Orioles' opening day rotation and who will they be? As a bonus, can you guess the order correctly? And I'll start with Nick. Oh, man. Uh, it's it's going to be a mess this year, to be totally honest. I mean, with a lot of teams, especially like the Orioles, trying to figure things out, trying to get pitchers back in to shape here. Um, and, you know, I think the Orioles have like four off days in the first three weeks. So, I mean, you're going to be able to use guys for a while here. But I think they do use the six-man rotation. I know there's some talk about it. A lot of other teams are looking at using the six, uh, six arms, at least to start the season. I, I think it makes sense. Just as you guys, as guys work back into the mix here, but um, I think that, and even if Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez don't make the starting rotation, I mean, I think Michael Elias is going to be active on the waiver wire, trying to find guys after rosters are set. But I think for right now, I'm, I'm going to say John Means gets the opening day nod, of course, and then I think it's going to be Dean Kramer, uh, Felix Hernandez, Keegan Aiken, Jorge Lopez, and Matt Harvey to round it out. But like I said, a lot of days off early on, it's going to be a mess to see uh, who gets in, who, who gets how many innings. Uh, but at least for right now, that's my prediction. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that six, man. Yeah, it's tough after the first three or four. Uh, John Means definitely opening day starter. And I think he's going to make the all-star game again this year. That's one surprise already. Uh, number two, Dean Kramer. I think he's really going to show out there in spring and this year he's going to prove that he is a mainstay in the rotation three uh, yeah if Felix Hernandez makes a team it's got to be probably the third starter then you go Keegan Aiken four so I guess we're the same there I'll go Matt Harvey five and Bruce Zimmerman six to start off things with the six-man rotation I think that'll only last a month or so and then they'll kind of ease back into a five-man rotation Maybe even Bruce Zimmerman and Tyler uh, Wells will be like a tandem for that sixth starter. 
So I'm going to say that they have a six-man rotation as well. And my order is John Means is the opening day starter. So we're unanimous there. I think Felix Hernandez makes the team as the number two starter. Because I don't know the, and I don't think he's the second best pitcher on the Orioles. It's not because of that, but I think it's almost sort of a nod to say this is the most accomplished pitcher in our rotation. We have younger guys behind him. We'll make Felix the number two. Then we'll go Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, um, Jorge Lopez, who I'm not sold on as a starter, but I think the Orioles want to try him there for an extended period. And I know some people are not going to like this, but I'm going to go Wade LeBlanc in the sixth spot. Somehow I, I think he. I think he hangs on and he makes the back of the rotation as the other lefty. They give him a chance to see if he can shake off the injuries that he had last year. It might not last long, but I'm going to say that Wade LeBlanc is in there in the beginning. You know Tommy Malone is still a free agent. We could just <laughs> sign him instead. I was waiting for Julio Tehran just because there's the Angels connection. You don't have to trade for him. You can just sign him to a minor <laughs> league deal. But he went to the Tigers. And so much for that. but. Yeah, it's Tigers be, and Orioles <laughs> mirror match. I think it's, when you're looking at this, it's all about versatility. I think guys, that, and I guess we we'll talk more about that when we get to the Rule Five picks. But if you have options, it's going to be a huge bonus. I think is we see a lot of pitchers shuffled in and out this year. Yeah. All right. So the next question on our list, I believe, was submitted by Bob. Yeah. So my first question for you guys was going to be, who do you think will be the biggest pleasant surprise of this spring training camp and who will be the biggest disappointment? I will go with Jemai Jones as the biggest surprise. Um, I think that the fact he's coming over a little bit late, although we've talked about him in our last few episodes, it sounds like he made some real progress at the plate last year. I think that's going to carry over into camp. Um, as I said last week, I'm really interested to see how his swing looks. While I don't know that that's going to be enough for him to make the opening day roster, I think he's going to hit well, and he's going to put himself in that position where the first opening for regular bats in the major leagues, um, he could find his way up from Norfolk. So I'm going to go to my Jones as the biggest surprise. And the biggest disappointment, I know it's obvious, but it's going to be Chris Davis because he's not going to look good in camp. And then we're going to have to have the discussion as spring training goes along. So the Orioles just release him because someone's going to get squeezed off the roster because of Chris Davis struggling. Um, And then Chris Davis will make the opening day roster. It's a circle of life in Orioles baseball (laughs) since 2018. My thing is the only way that he can really disappoint is if he plays good enough to justify his spot on the roster, but we'll see. Chris Um, Berger says Ryan McKenna for biggest surprise. That would be interesting. That would be awesome to see. Uh, I'm going to stick with the center field and go with Austin Hayes as the biggest surprise, just because I think health-wise is obviously the biggest question mark with him. There have been struggles at the plate. He's been a streaky hitter. I just think that there's a lot of talk, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but there's a lot of talk about Cedric Mullins taking over the starting job or at least being a heavy competitor for that starting job at center field. So I think Austin Hayes has been up in the big leagues now for three, four years. He knows that that there's a lot of competition coming up. Uh, maybe not center field directly, but outfield as a whole it is a very deep position in Baltimore. A lot of top prospects working their way up. Guys like McKenna, guys like Usniel Diaz are banging on the door. Uh, so I think Austin Hayes has to show out. So I think I could see him getting really hot this spring, although the biggest fear is does he try to go too hard because I like his intensity. His intensity is is amazing. But we know that sometimes that gets him in trouble. And so is he just, you know, stretching one single out to a double and there goes a wrist and then he's out for four or five weeks. That's always the biggest fear with him. Uh, If we're talking the Jake Fox award winner for this spring training, I'm going Seth Mejia's Breen. Mark that down. Remember the name. Um, I could see him hitting like seven or eight jacks this spring and and then not making the team. But uh, biggest disappointment, I'm going to go DJ Stewart. I just think that all of his production was in just such a concentrated, small concentration of games. It's like eight or nine game stretch where he got like what 95% of his hits and he didn't have that many hits to begin with. Uh, But other than that, he just, I've I've been a big supporter of his since very early on in the minor leagues, uh, but even through his slow starts, but I'm just, I'm getting DJ Stewart fatigue here and I'm ready to kind of move on. There's a lot of other interesting options. I mentioned McKenna. He's on the 40 man now. Diaz is on the 40 man now. So they're quick call-ups. Um, you have Cedric Mullins there. Tyler Nevin is also on the 40-man roster, I believe. So he's a quick phone call up to the majors. 
uh, finally got a full season at double A in 2019. So he, he may be ready after a few weeks. Uh, but I think there's so much competition banging at the door and I just don't see DJ Stewart being able to stick it out for me. He's a, he's a name on the bubble. Is he going to make that opening day roster or not? It's a good so question. We're going to go now to a question Nick actually has on here about oh. the uh, outfield. I didn't get to do my own surprise oh. and disappointment. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, Bob. That's okay. No, you're qu- it's quite all right. It's probably not going to be that interesting anyway. But <laughs> my biggest surprise is actually this kind of goes in well with DJ Stewart conversation is Yusniel Diaz. I think he's going to just bang on the doors all spring long and kind of make a, a run for being on the opening day roster, at least a case that he should be or could be. Ultimately, I don't think that's the case. I think they want to get that extra year out of him, as most teams do. Just ask uh, Kevin Mather. But I think he's going to really put on a show in spring, hit some home runs, some doubles, show off his arm in in the outfield, and DJ Stewart's going to start nervously sweating profusely. And as far as disappointment, I will say Cedric Mullins. Unfortunately, as great of a story as it was, a great comeback to kind of get back and establish himself at the major league level last year. If you look at his baseball savant page, he's pretty low in a lot of metrics other than his defense, which could keep him in the majors. And his speed, it was not a lot going on for him. I want to say he had a high BABIP. I should have confirmed that before talking about it. But um, I I don't know. I just think he's going to kind of not crash as far as he did in 2019, but just kind of fall back down to earth as like a 680 OPS type of guy. With his defense, that could play a role on a team. but with uh, as Chris Barger said, with Ryan McKenna kind of being able to do some of the same things, that could also be dangerous for his spot. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So, Nick's got a question for about the outfield. Yes, yeah, we got the rotation there. Uh, the infield, I think, is pretty set in stone. I don't think there's very many questions about the infield, but. With the outfield, there's, there's been a lot of these talks. I think it was Joe Trezza even had Cedric Mullins as mentioning him as like the opening day starting center fielder. I've seen a lot more of this talk for around Cedric Mullins here. And so I guess it's who is opening day when opening day rolls around, who's going to be starting outfield for the Baltimore Orioles? I'll say Mountcastle in left, Hayes in center, Santander in right. Pretty, pretty chalk, but. I just, I don't know. Until, unless Chris Davis gets released somehow, then and Mountcastle moves the first, or DH shares first and DH with Trey Mancini, then maybe you give DJ Stewart or Cedric Mullins the left field job. I'm with Bob on this one. I think that's the opening day outfield. I do think Mullins will get uh, his fair share of plate appearances early on, but if we're looking at opening day specifically, I think that Chris Davis is in the lineup, which means that Ryan Mountcastle is in left field. And then Hayes in center, Santander in right. And then Mullins probably gets a little bit more playing time after that. But that's my guess for the opening day outfield. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think this the ceiling for that outfield is is pretty high, I, I think. But you, you got, have guys like Yusniel Diaz and Heston Kershad Gary come up to push that ceiling up even higher. Uh, but with these guys right now, there are just so many questions. I think with Mountcastle is obviously still – Rookie of the year eligible, still a young guy, still going to match the baseball. A lot of the pitchers that he's going to face this year didn't get to see him last year since you stuck to those AL East, NL East teams uh, in 2020. So that could be to his advantage again in this sophomore, quote unquote, sophomore year. Um, Austin Hayes, like we already talked about him, the question marks there. Santander, I know Orioles fans are in love with him. I get it. I love the guy as well, but he's only played in 176 games in four seasons. So I just think there are questions there. We just need to see it. He just got to prove it across the full season. Can he be consistent? Um, can that defense, the progression he took defensively in right field, does that stick? I think it does. But I guess then to build on that, by the end of the season, who is your starting outfield? Is, is there, are those three guys going to stick there? Or I think it could be Diaz in right with a Santander trade and Hayes in center and Mountcastle still in left. I'm going to go Diaz in left, Hayes at the center, and Santander in right. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say, too. I think San, I think Santander stays in the outfield for sure. Well, yeah, Santander stays. Diaz is definitely out there. I, I just don't see how he makes it to the all-star game without being on the major league roster. And then Hayes. 
but it's it's interesting to see. We got a lot of guys coming up uh, in this system in the outfield, and the outfield is going to be a, at least a fun section of the roster to watch this year, and for probably a long time to come too. Yeah. Yeah, we sure hope so. So, Bob now has a question about the bench. Yeah, um, how many bench spots do you think will be used for position players? And who's going to fill them? Um, I think there's a maximum of pitchers, so I'm sure the Orioles <laughs> will go to that maximum line. But what do you guys think, Zach? I'm going to go actually with what Joe Trezza has, and I think your bench is going to be Chancisco, Cedric Mullins, and Pat Vileka. Um, I think the Orioles, as you said, are going to go to the max with the pitchers. The six-man rotation, I think, squeezes um, may end up squeezing a position player off. Otherwise, I may have had DJ Stewart on my bench, but my guess is that they put Stewart in Norfolk uh, early on to get him regular at bats, and they go with Cisco, Valeka, Mullins on the bench, and then kind of alternate Mullins in and out. Uh, Cisco, Severino split playing time as they usually have, and Valeka will play around the field, but hopefully not a lot of shortstop. <laughs> yeah, I think. That was kind of my question with this. and It rolls into this bench is who's going to be the Orioles utility guy this year. Is it going to be Pat Vileka again? Cause I think that's that bench is pretty much set there. I agree with all those things. Um, I wanted to put Ramon Urias down there instead of Pat Vileka because regular list, regular listeners of our show know <laughs> my disdain for Pat Vileka, but I will say maybe it's baseball season starting back up again. And I have a soft spot in a soft <laughs> spot for baseball again. Um, you have Yolmer Sanchez now. You've got Jemai Jones in the system now, who's AAA, possibly Major League roster. You've got Freddie Gallus at shortstop. The middle infield is pretty solid, I think, uh, and there's good depth pieces there. So I don't think we'll have to rely on Pat Vileka to play shortstop, but he can. He can play first base. He can play the outfield. He can DH. So I think if he's strictly like a DH, um, then he sticks around and makes this roster because the potential in that bat, the power in that bat it can be real. So I think Vileka does stick around. But I'm just going to throw the name Ramon Urias out there, former top 30 prospect with the Cardinals. His brother is Luis Urias, one of the top uh, hitting prospects. He, he was. He struggled since being traded to the Brewers. But uh, the brothers can hit, so just keep that name in mind. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you might see like a DJ Stewart, Pat Vileka platoon at DH with Chris Davis firmly planted on the bench, Chan Cisco, obviously. And I think the utility guy will be Jemai Jones. I think his ability to play center field and second base up the middle, probably even third base left field. I think that gives him the edge. It's not like they need to play the, you know, service time game. He already got major league time. So I think he's going to earn the last spot on that bench. I will say that putting Jones on the roster would just give that bench a lot more upside and a lot more athleticism than the options that I just mentioned. So I, I would actually be happy to see that if it worked out. And Rylan Bannon is the emergency catcher apparently now. So <laughs> and if you have Bannon on the roster, he, he had a little bit of AAA experience, but if he's if he really is this emergency catcher type player and they've been working him out there and they continue to work him there, then you don't have to put a catcher on your taxi squad. And so you can put another pitcher there or put another another bat there instead of a, putting in Austin Wins or Nick Shufo or someone else in that spot. So that could be something to think about as well. And Chris Barger, again, with a great point, <laughs> agrees with you. Yeah, I, I would not be surprised to see Bannon in there either. So it's definitely going to be some interesting um, younger guys who are more in that utility mode uh, to watch in camp. So speaking of players who are going to make the roster, I'm going to throw out this prediction question. Will Rule 5 picks Max Roller and or Tyler Wells make the opening day roster? I'll start with Bob. I think one of them will. I think we've kind of been on the same track, all of us, for most of the time since Rule 5. But I think Tyler Wells is the guy over Max Roller. Obviously, haven't even been games played yet in spring training, so anything could shift. But I think, like I mentioned, Tyler Wells might be in a tandem with Bruce Zimmerman as my sixth man in the rotation, so I have to stick with that prediction. Nothing against Mac and or Ben McDonald. Please don't hurt me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's my guess. Yeah, I'm, I mean, to put it on record, I'm going to say no, that neither does, although – Max Roller is kind of, uh, I've been trying to get excited about him. Uh, the bloodline is obviously exciting. That storyline, something to talk about, especially during spring training games. 
if we ever get any broadcast on Madison, which doesn't seem likely, but um, I just don't see it just because like I mentioned, versatility is going to be key, especially with these pitchers. It doesn't seem like anybody's going to want to really throw their guys out for six innings on opening day, for at least the first few weeks of the season, uh, especially guys like Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer probably aren't going to be able to. John Means, maybe. Uh, Felix Hernandez isn't throwing six innings every single day, every single start. I mean, um, so I just think with rule five pick, you're stuck. You already have Chris Davis wasting a roster spot. Uh, so I think that's why a guy like Tom Eshelman was probably brought back. He has options, so he can go up and down. You have Connor Green, Ashton Godot, uh, two more guys that have options. They can be long relief arms. They have starter experience in the minors. They can move up and down. I think that's going to be more valuable to, to when Michael Elias puts this final roster together. I'm going to say no as well, and for a lot of the reasons that Nick mentioned, I think the versatility and being able to move guys up and down over uh, the early part of the season is really going to be crucial this year. Um, I wanted to say that Tyler Wells would make it, but I just don't know what to expect coming off the injury, and that, that's a huge question mark. I think if you had a bullpen and a rotation that you could expect to be a little bit more fixed, where you weren't going to have to move guys in and out as much, you can maybe put Wells on and see after a month or two how he looks and if he stretches out. But somehow, I just don't know this is the year to do it. Even though you're probably going to be carrying more pitchers than normal, as Nick said, I think you want the ability to move guys up and down as you need to. And Wells and Sorolla don't give you that because of being Wolf 5 picks. At that point, should have kept Zach Pop. Well, and that goes into the next question, which is, uh, will Gray Fenter and Zach Pop stick with the teams that drafted them in the Rule 5 draft? In Gray Fenter's case, that was the Cubs. So I'll start with Nick on this one. Yeah, I was digging around the Marlins roster last night, and they brought in like six new bullpen arms. Uh, uh, no one that's really going to blow you away. Um, no one that's really going to kind of move pop. the needle. Yeah, no that Good one. <laughs> no one's going <laughs> to pop for the Marlins. And so I think a guy like Zach Pop, who hasn't pitched in so long, uh, you're probably definitely not going to want to be super aggressive with him. So I think something to watch in Marlins spring training, checking out the box scores, will be to see how many innings they give Pop. Uh, again, they brought in six guys, all major league arms, proven veterans already in the major leagues. So I think there's going to be stiff competition there. No one that I think Pop couldn't compete with, but there's so many names. It's going to be hard. I think he maybe gets lost. Uh, and with Fenter, kind of the same thing. I mean, we've talked about before, especially looking back last year, I think he might have just cracked our top 30 or just missed. Uh, but, you know, we've talked about he has that fastball curveball combination that could skyrocket him up the minor leagues and get to the major leagues possibly as a reliever. But he hasn't pitched since 2019. And at that level, it was Del Marva. So he hasn't even made it to high A. Uh, he is older, Tommy John surgery, but um, it's been two years since he pitched, almost two years. Hasn't made it above high A. And you get to the Cubs, and I know the Cubs are a meh team in this terrible division, the, the NL Central, but their bullpen also looks pretty deep. So I think both guys end up coming back. That would be great. I uh, Unfortunately, I think Zach Pop is going to impress enough to make the Marlins roster. It's a long season, obviously, especially when it's not 60 games. But I think he does enough to stick with Miami, unfortunately. And and uh, Gray Fenter, I think he'll be back by May. I mean, nothing against him. I think he could still be a potential good arm out of the bullpen. But it's just like you said, he hasn't pitched in a while, hasn't pitched above A ball. So that's a lot to ask for anybody. And I think he'll be back. I'm going to go with Bob on this one. I think the Marlins hold on to Pop. Um, we'll see how it works out once we get into the regular season, exactly how he's recovering from Tommy John. But I don't think that they would have made the move that they did, which was to actually tr make a trade with the Arizona Diamondbacks to get Pop um, after the Rule 5 draft if they didn't think he could make the roster. Um, so I think he's going to stick with Miami. And I do think that Gray Fenter will return from the Cubs. I'll, I'll be honest, I don't really know what the Cubs are doing. But my sense is that even though they've kind of been in this cost-cutting mode, it's not a good division. There's, in theory, enough talent there, especially if Jake Arrieta shows he has something left in the tank, to make a run at that division title, uh, which could be the last time you do it with Chris Bryan and uh, Javier Baez there. And I don't know with that that they're going to want to try to rely on a pitcher 
with as little experience as Fenter, especially got for a guy that just pits in low A in his last full season. So I think they're still kind of in a win-now mode, and that probably leads to Fenter coming back probably mid to late camp, I think, and then the Orioles will have to decide from there if they want to put him in the bullpen at high or double A and see how quickly he can move. Yeah, I mean, there's we said neither of the Rule 5 guys will probably make the roster, although Tyler Wells is obviously the most intriguing. I don't think there's any risk. There is any risk in taking either of those either of those guys, obviously, but losing Zach Pop, I know a lot of Orioles fans were kind of upset about that. He's a top 30 prospect guy, someone who, you know, I know Bob saw as a future closer for the Orioles, right. and he could still be a major league closer. I think the stuff was really good, uh, but we'll have to see, but I, I'm going to cross my fingers and, and hope they both come back. I meant going into the 2027 season, we're going <laughs> to sign him on a three-year deal to be our closer. All right. So Bob has another uh, prediction question for us. Yeah. My last question for everyone is, do you think Michael Elias is going to work his magic and either sign anyone or make a trade, any notable transactions before opening day? Uh, I mean, the Marlins and Santander rumors, I think that's obviously done. The Marlins went out and got some corner outfielders. Uh, I know there was, you know, this since Santander lost his arbitration case, making a little less money, he could become more attractive to teams. That could still be the case. You know, maybe if using you know, Diaz explodes in spring training and the Orioles can't keep him down in AAA or just don't want to, although, you know, they're going to keep him down for service time reasons. But um, I think if anything, it's going to be pitching. They could always use more pitching. I don't think it's going to be anything major. I don't see any trades, maybe a small, small trade somewhere. But, I mean, looking at the free agent list right now, there's still a lot of really good names out there. Uh, guys like Trevor Cahill is interesting. Again, none of these guys are going to move the needle, obviously. We're talking about guys who can fill innings for the Orioles. But Trevor Cahill is interesting. Uh, you mentioned Tommy Malone is still there. If the Orioles want to bring him back to grab some more international prospects from the Atlanta Braves again. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Jeff Samarja is a name that's still out there. Could be interesting. Um, yeah, maybe the Orioles sign another guy to a minor league deal. I think it depends on what happens early on in spring training. Uh, I'm kind of in the same mode, I think, where it's going to depend on what happens early in camp. In theory, they have brought in enough uh, pitchers over the last three weeks or so that they shouldn't have to make another move but we just don't know that it's going to work out that way. But I think that if they do, it's going to be kind of a, you know, low risk, high reward type signing to see what a guy like a Trevor Cahill could do if you were to bring him in. Um, I don't really see any major moves, and I would be surprised if we saw um, trade, especially a a player of the caliber of Santander going. So I, I guess my answer to this question is no. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any at least major trade that is really notable. I think a lot of the free agency stuff, it's going to rely on those rule five picks. I think if they quickly realize that they're neither are going to make it and they return them to their clubs very soon in like a week or two, then maybe you see them sign a Tommy Malone or someone comparable. That's just looking to get a job at this point. And I know John Becker on Twitter, he works on roster resources. He's a good follow. He has the Orioles predicted sign uh, Trevor Cahill. And that could definitely be a guy that, you know, you stick in the back end of your bullpen. I hope you get some value and flip him at the deadline. So that would be interesting. I don't think there's going to be anything too major, but like I said, there might be uh, a small signing, especially if they return the Rule 5 guys. Nick Markakis is still out there. Yasiel Puig is still out there. (laughs) Yeah, we need more outfielders for sure. (laughs) No, they're not coming. They're not coming to Baltimore. No. no. All right. So here's the que- the last question that I have, at least uh, on our list. I wouldn't be shocked if we come up with one or two more before the show ends. Will Adley Rutzman be assigned to Norfolk out of camp? So keep in mind what we talked about earlier on the show. Triple A will be starting a month earlier than Double A this year. Um, so I will start with Nick on this one. It's an interesting one. I know a lot of Orioles fans are going to be paying close attention to that, but I I don't think he starts the year in Norfolk. I think on one hand, Norfolk starting in Norfolk would be a great idea just because we've mentioned before on our show plenty of times that rotation is going to have five 
five guys who are all top 30 prospects, most likely in the Orioles system uh, with a really good bullpen. Guys like Cody Sedlock are going to be there in that bullpen, most likely. Uh, and having Adley Rutschman there would be a huge help, obviously. And they're starting on time. So you get him into games immediately. But at the same time, I think he's what he's on the camp reserve roster. So uh, I think that kind of signals that he's going to start the year in Bowie. I think that's where a lot of the talk has been already. But you put him in Bowie. He gets to work with those guys. I don't know. DL Hall probably starts in Bowie. So he's working with DL Hall. I don't, I don't know if Grayson Rodriguez reaches Bowie uh, very early on in the year, maybe by the end of the year. But uh, Bowie's still going to have a really good pitching staff to work with. And there, if he rakes for a month of Bowie, you can move him up in June or July, get to Norfolk, play two months there. And then maybe we see him in the big leagues at the very end of the year. But I know casual fans are going to be screaming for his name all year long, but I'm perfectly fine with having him just sit in the minor leagues and work with those guys. There's so many pitchers down there in the minor leagues, and I think having Rutschman there behind the plate, working with them every single day, it's going to be a huge bonus, and then we can just we can roll in 2022 with all these guys. Yeah, you know, it's something I hadn't even really considered until I listened to Nick on the Chris Turner show, or BSL Tonight, one of those two. And it kind of makes a lot of sense that he could start at AAA. And at that point, you're a hot month or two away from the majors at any point in time. So that tells me they're probably not going to do that. But, um, God, that is enticing. And, yeah, he'll definitely be the Ryan Mountcastle of 2021, just like last year. Mountcastle was clamored for pretty much – I mean, it was only a month <laughs> until he came up, but it felt like forever. And, yeah, I think the earliest we'll see him is September. But – if, he, if they do start him at AAA, then maybe that's a sign that they'll bring him up a little bit quicker than maybe we thought. My guess is that Rutzman does start uh, in Bowie this year. I do think that given the, the circumstances with AAA starting early, there's a strong argument for putting him there. The problem is that I don't see the Orioles starting him at Norfolk and then putting him down in Bowie. So at that point, if they're putting him in Norfolk, they're committing to it. They have Dick Sufo in the system right now. They have Brett Cumberland, who I think they're pretty high on. And there's actually a good piece in the Baltimore Sun that John Mioli wrote about Brett Cumberland that um, I read this morning. And I'd uh, encourage anyone who has not read it yet to go check that out. It talks about how Cumberland has been working on a swing uh, since the shutdown last year. So I, I think that Cumberland's going to be a guy they're going to want to give regular playing time to in Norfolk. If Nick Sufo is around, he's got a lot of upsides to defense he can bring. Austin Wins is still in the organization at this point. And I think that they're going to go ahead and they'll start Rutzman and Bowie, let him work with D.L. Hall. Um, and some of the other prospects will be there, and maybe we see him in Norfolk um, around July 1st. Could see that, too. Yeah, I mean, it's – I know Orioles fans don't want to be patient anymore. I get it. I'm tired of being patient as well. But, I mean, he's coming. And I, I know Baseball America even put out a piece earlier today, the top 40 prospects of the last 40 years, and, and Ali Rutschman was on that list, I think – pull it up here again real quick but um just to show kind of his what and those guys like jim callis and two other guys i can't remember off the top of my head that put this list together but i mean they had uh ben mcdonald 25th prospect of all time uh matt we well last 40 years matt weeders at 28 and ali rushman came in at number 36 jose canseco is 35 and felix hernandez was uh 37 sandwiched uh around ali rushman but he's gonna be in big he's gonna be in baltimore very very soon I thought everyone said that Rutschman was a better catching prospect than Weeders, but I guess that's hindsight. Maybe he's a bust. I don't know. <laughs> well, hopefully we, you know, hopefully wherever Rutschman goes, we see the really positive results come through, and I'm I'm sure they will. Um, so, do either of you have any impromptu predictions that you want to throw out here? Yeah, I thought of one, a uh, pretty good one here. Will either one of these three things happen in 2021? Will we see a Dustin Knight backflip, a Mickey Janus knuckleball, or a Ripken taking at bat again at Camden Yards in 2021? Definitely no backflip. <laughs> I can't see uh, Dustin Knight making the team, and I especially can't see him finishing a game because I, I did hear that that's the only time he'll do it is when he closes a game out. That seems highly unlikely. Um, Ryan Ripken, look, it would be an awesome story. I don't see it happening, at least this year, if ever. 
So my most likely candidate is Mickey Janice, Josh Soroka, eat your heart out, enjoy it. You might see a couple of his pitches this year at some point. Yeah, of the three, I think that's the most likely that we see Mickey Janice. Um, I would love to see Dustin Knight do a backflip on the mound of Canton Yards sometime in August or September, but I don't know that I see that happening. And Ryan Ripken, as Bob said, it would be a really nice story, but I don't know that I see it happening, especially at that position at first base because the Orioles do have so many options in front of Ripken that I think even if he exceeded expectations, whatever level he went to, it would be hard to fit him on the roster, even for a limited time period. So I'm going to say no to Ripken being on the roster, and I do think we see Mickey Janis at some point. It would be great to see that curveball. Yeah, and, and it would be it would have been cool. I remember maybe two years ago, it would be a more interesting conversation. Would we see Ryan Ripken and Preston Palmero? and the big leagues and Preston Palmero is I think out of baseball now and Ryan Ripken he's hanging around because of that name let's let's be honest the, the numbers are the numbers are pretty dismal but something fun to watch during spring training I guess the only thing I could think of is will the Orioles still be the major league punching bag for the national media by the end of spring training I think we all know the answer to that Yes, but they shouldn't be because it, what what were you expecting? You know, this is pretty much who the Orioles are right now. Um, and I do think that there are going to be some teams that finish with the worst record in uh, 2021. So, yeah, they'll still be a punching bag. Uh, they'll probably be a punching bag for most of the year, even if, as I said, everybody knew everybody knows who they are. And I think it, in the end, they're not going to have deserved to be the punching bags they are right now. They'll still be a punching bag at the end of camp. Yeah, I mean it, it's, it's easy. Tough on us, though. Yeah, it, it's it's just easy pickings for for the national media. I mean, there's. I'd rather watch these Orioles on a nightly basis than the Pirates. Uh, can can anybody name more than three players on the Pirates roster? Probably not. I can't only because I'm looking at their roster right now. Um, <laughs> the Rockies, the Rockies made probably one of the worst trades in the history of baseball. Uh, I mean. I don't think Austin Gomber is going to do anything at Coors Field for them while Nolan Arenado wins the division by himself. So, uh, yeah, it is it is what it is. That's all right. We'll have the last laugh. It's all good. All right, I'll throw this out there. What's the one position out of the position players where we might be the most surprised by who the starter is on opening day? Third base. I think there is a real chance that Rio Ruiz, um, God, I almost sounded like uh, Scott Garceau there for a second. Um, I think there's a real chance that Ruiz could just continue to disappoint like he did last year. And, you know, I'm kind of of two minds with him. He had such a low BABIP. He had a good hard hit rate. I think one of the highest on the team, but I don't know. I just... It doesn't pass the eye test for me exactly. So I think if he bombs out and doesn't make the team, then maybe you get Bannon or Jemai Jones or Yolmer Sanchez. So I think that could be the one. Yeah, I think that's a really good guess. Um, I guess the only other thing I could think of that could shock us would be Cesar Valdez making starting rotation. Even though I, I don't want him there. I, I know I think a lot of other people would probably agree. I like putting him in the closers role for right now. I think Matt Harvey is, eh, I don't know what to think about Matt Harvey anymore. We've talked about him on our show. Um, wish him all the best, but it's it's been so long at this point. Uh, but with Valdez, he can go five outs. He can even get you the last six outs if you really need him to. So, But I don't know. A lot of this talk about going into starting rotation. We'll have to see. I'm going to go with Bob. I think if there's a position that could change from what our expectations are now to opening day, it's going to be third base. I think if Ruiz struggles in camp, um, he may end up playing his way into a platoon role or not being on the roster at all, which I think is probably the less likely outcome. But I wouldn't be entirely shocked if the Orioles for the first month or two of the season go with a platoon of third of Pat Vileka and Rio Ruiz, and that Pat Vileka is the starting third baseman on opening day for that reason. Um, so I'll have, I have one more question here, and it's kind of based off of what Nick said. Will the Orioles have a set closer at the end of camp, or are they going to go by committee? If they do have a set closer, who will it be? I think it'll probably be a committee, but I think Tanner Scott will be like the 
leader of that committee, get the most opportunities out of all of them. But I think it might be between Hunter Harvey, Tanner Scott, and our boy with the dead fish, Cesar Valdez. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be a committee at this point, but you probably definitely see Tanner Scott. If if it's a super high leverage situation, you need these last two outs, uh, runners on base. I'm probably going to put Tanner Scott in there to see what he can do. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing the Orioles really challenge him, putting him in those really tough situations this year, and, and let's see just how good he is. The improvements last year were phenomenal. Uh, I think all, our patience with Tanner Scott kind of paid off last year, but I want to see him challenged a lot this year, see what he can do. Still young, only 26 years old. I think it's going to be split between Tanner Scott and Cesar Valdez, and Valdez might be the next test uh, test from Mike Elias in can you get the most out of a half season from for a pitcher in terms of trade value. Um, if Valdez pitches well going into his pitching well going into the All-Star break, um, I think he's probably going to be a guy that's moved to the deadline. At that point, Tanner Scott takes over the role permanently. But I think that they'll split the duties between those two early on with Valdez maybe getting more opportunities, uh, at least initially. So it's something of a committee, but definitely set on Valdez and Scott. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. And God, Valdez, if he really lights it up in the first half, he could be pretty valuable with his service time, you know, plenty of team control and I don't know, with his age and not so uh, assured long-term success. Maybe not, but it would be interesting. Maybe it's Zach Bupp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you never know. So any any final predictions? Or predictions? I got nothing else. Do we think we'll be able to watch any of the spring training games next week? And probably not on Masson, but on a road network on MLB TV? Uh, I'm hoping. I think I did look. I think the Yankees, they play the Yankees Monday or Tuesday, maybe. I think that's on okay. the Yes Network. So buy, buy your MLB TV package, I guess. Yeah. Um, so have to rely on that for now, at least. Go old so, with the radio. Is it going to be on radio? Don't know. Probably Orioles. not. Jeez, always. <laughs> well, your Baltimore Orioles, if you can see them, if you can hear them, great. And that's going to be our spring training uh, until further notice. So um, this has been our latest episode of On the Verge. We took a look at spring training predictions as well as a quick discussion on the 2021 minor league season. Uh, be sure to visit BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Check out the articles there. Hop on the message board and join in the discussion. I had a piece up uh, over the weekend looking at Bruce Zimmerman Alexander Wells and Zach Lothar and how they could help the team in 2021. Bob and Nick, do either of you have new stories coming up soon? I'm holding off for the regular season to start when I can start doing my three up, three down pieces for majors and minors. Yeah, probably a review of the infield, a preview of the infield. I looked at the starting rotation and the bullpen already over there. You can check those out, but I'm going to do the infield and outfield probably over the next two weeks, but really it's just it's college baseball right now. That's what I've been focusing on. Well, certainly going to be uh, exciting to see college baseball this spring as well as Orioles spring training. Um, thank you for listening to On the Verge tonight. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.